So without further ado, let's bring in uh, on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, Barry Shuck, who is the uh, member of the Professional Researchers Association staff writer or staff. And he's also a staff writer at DogsByNature.com. He's also an official voter of the NFL Hall of Very Good. Uh, and, and he has so many publications out there as far as books, well-read knowledge. Barry, thanks for taking your time on a Saturday to come on to the barbershop once again with me. Morning, Garrett. How are you? I'm doing very well, doing very well. You know, I, I reached out to you um, and, and so many people have been, um, you know, just really excited about some of the some of the information that you've been able to give and background and, and context that you're able to add to the Browns history and the Browns lore. Um, you know, I reached out to you and said um, I, I wanted to discuss some things about the, the, the relationship between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. Um, you know, obviously they share uh, a, a, a history of having one of the greatest uh, influential minds in football with, with Paul Brown being at the center of that. And I said, you know, I wanted to talk about this sort of semi-cold war between the, the, the Bengals and the Browns and them not going back and forth and them not doing certain trades and, and really not, you know, definitely um, working with each other in, in terms of that, that rivalry. But I wanted to get the context and where, where that stood. And you said you had something very interesting when it came to Paul Brown and, uh, and, and Art Modell. I'll let you get to that. Yeah, it was the, uh, the sale of the Browns to a group that Art Modell was part of. He was not the majority owner, but he was one of the majority owners. And, of course, that was back in 1961. Um, in the NFL bylaws, there is what's called Rule 4, and that states that a franchise, for, in order for it to be sold, it takes a three-fourths majority of the owners to approve the sale. So any new owner that comes in, like the Carolina Panthers, uh, the last few years was sold. The Jacksonville Jaguars and a few years ago was sold. And so the owners convene, and they uh, go through the financials, and they make their recommendations. Then they call for a vote, and you have to have three-quarters of the owner's approval before you can actually buy the team. Otherwise, you just don't buy the team. Now, the Cleveland Browns was a charter member of an NFL rival league called the All-American Football Conference. We all know that. It began in 1946. In fact, on July the 24th, the Browns are about to make a major announcement, and we think at dogsbynature.com that it's going to be the unveiling of the 1946 white jersey will be an alternate jersey for this year. They had a, um, a white jersey with brown letters, a uh, brown numeral, excuse me, and then an orange drop shade. Their brown jerseys were uh, orange letters, uh, numerals with a white drop shade, and we think it's going to be the white jerseys uh, coming up. That's uh, an exclusive in, here, too. In 1946. Have you seen That's an jerseys? exclusive. Wow. So the original uh, it, it owners continue, Can you continue on with, with that with that great story, Barry? Yeah, uh, the original owner of the the principal owner of the Cleveland Browns in 1946 was Mickey McBride, and he was very wealthy. And he his son and another man named Daniel Sherby 
uh, were the owners, and Paul Brown was a minority owner, um, had 5%. Now, McBride owned two Cleveland taxicab companies, Zone and Yellow Cab, and, and had lots of money, but he knew very little about the game of football. He just knew that he liked it. He, he liked watching Notre Dame. And um, years earlier, he had tried to buy a minority share in the Cleveland Rams and was rebuffed on that. So when McBride hired Paul Brown as the head coach and GM of the new Cleveland AAFC team, which would later be named the Panthers, and then that was dropped and, and then they were called the Browns. Now, at the time, Paul Brown was the most famous sports person in the entire state of Ohio. Now, Garrett, you know Paul Brown won a national championship with Ohio State, correct? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, he – okay. He he also won six state championships with Maslin High, uh, Washington High School, and four of those were national championships. From there, he went to Ohio State, and in his second year – Ohio State won the national championship. Then the World War um, a national championship. Then World War II broke out, and like everybody else, Paul Brown uh, joined the service. Well, it was Coach uh, Brown who made just about every decision for the Cleveland Browns, and McBride and Sh- and Sherby, which were the principal owners, and the rest of the minor- minority owners, they never interfered with him. Paul Brown did all the hiring. He did all the firing. He chose the equipment. He hired the front office. He decided which college campus should be the training camp. He decided on the team colors, which we we hit on one one episode. And if office chairs were needed or staplers, he didn't do the research, but he decided which ones to ultimately purchase. So while the Browns were in the AAFC, they won all four years and won four championships. They merged into the NFL in 1950, which the NFL owners considered the AAFC a minor league. Well, the Browns won the NFL title in their very very first year in the more established league. But at the end of the 1952 season, the Browns were seven years old and had gone to the championship game seven times, winning five. Now, Garrett, wouldn't this success make the franchise more more valuable? I, I, I guarantee it should. Absolutely. So the following year, 1953, the Browns were sold for $600,000. Now, that was just unheard of. In fact, the, the last time an NFL team at the time was sold it sold for 285000 So that was more than twice and uh, ever paid for a professional football uh, uh, team. Now, Paul Brown cashed in his 5%. Now, the new owners in 1953 all had deep ties to Cleveland's financial scene. They were all local businessmen or, or had been part of the Cleveland Indians. Um, had been part of the Cleveland Rams, had been horse racing uh, gentlemen, and Paul Brown in, it reinvested and now owned 50, 15%. Well, the sale of the Browns then was contingent on Paul Brown still being the head coach and still being the GM 
and still have complete control over the football side of the operation, uh, whereas this new group would provide the financial aspects. Now, they didn't wouldn't take care of player contracts, but everything else to do with the franchise financially, they took care of, and Paul Brown took care of everything else. This is leading up to Art Modell, because if you notice, the first owner, Mickey McBride, let Paul Brown do what he wanted, and he built the franchise. The second ownership let Paul Brown do what he wanted and built the franchise. So a story was written in the Cleveland Plain Dealer on June 11, 1953, regarding the new owner's intentions about Paul Brown, because they're new owners, are they going to retain him? The story was on page one, and it's quoted, will the new owners be as generous in allowing Brown to run their team as McBride was? And the head of the new group was named David R. Jones, and he was quoted, let's see what he said, the answer to that is yes. So here, Paul Brown has gone through a second ownership group, and basically they just handed him the keys to the franchise because he's successful and because he's uh, made the franchise the most valuable team in the entire NFL, even though they didn't begin in the NFL. Um, And they let him continue to run things as he saw fit. Garrett, wouldn't you? I mean, when when you look at it in terms of of what you he brought to the table, he was successful at every single level. Um, and you know, when you got a track record of of seeing that, it, it has to be something where you say, "All right, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna break or break something that that doesn't you know need fix. I, I'm not gonna you know step all over that." Um, do you think it was it was probably the beginning or one of the most average of ownership being involved in the football, uh, I would say football front office? Um, I, I They were basically ghost owners, just like Nicky McBride was, the second group. They, they owned it. They owned the majority. They all had their shares. It was about seven, eight men plus Paul Brown. And they, like you said, they they didn't try to fix anything that wasn't broken. Now, that first season under the new ownership group, the Browns lost, went to the 1953 NFL championship game and lost. So that they were still successful the first year. Paul Brown was named NFL Coach of the Year. And then the next two years, 1954 and 1955, Cleveland won back-to-back NFL titles. So this new ownership group had the team just three years and been to what the, the NFL title game three years and won two of them. So the Browns were now 10 years old and had played in 10 straight championships, winning seven. Now, Garrett, the New England Patriots are talked about today as being one of the greatest dynasties, but they didn't have this much success in consecutive seasons. That's crazy. That's crazy. Ten, it, it just baffles me, and I think this is this is the reason why I think um, so many viewers uh, enjoy listening uh, to the history um, that you present because 
a lot of people don't remember, a lot of people don't acknowledge or aren't aware of the history of the Cleveland Browns being one of the most dominant franchises and one of the flagships for what the NFL is today in terms of dominance, uh, first-class organization, innovation, uh, whether it's the jerseys, whether it's the, the, the playbook, the offensive style. The Cleveland Browns were a pillar of the league uh, in, in its early beginnings. Absolutely. It, and, of course, any league is aware, what have you done for me now, league? Well, Paul Brown was accustomed to Mickey McBride and now the new group headed by Jones, whom they both stayed out of the football side of the operation and strictly stuck to the business side of running a pro football franchise. Paul Brown basically made all the decisions, and the results spoke for themselves. Now, get this. At all AAFC and later NFL owners' meetings, it was Paul Brown who represented the club and held Cleveland's vote on matters, not the majority leader's. Ultimately, the the league wants to know that the person voting yes or no on any and every given proposal has the clear and unequivocal power to cast that club's single vote. And with the continued success of the Browns, now the franchise was the most valuable team in the entire NFL. Now, Garrett, today the Dallas Cowboys are the most valuable NFL club, and the Patriots are considered the most successful. But at the time, the Browns were both. You know, that is – I always say this, and maybe you can um, you, you can give me some context on this. Um, we speculate a lot uh, about what it would be like. Um, if the Browns got good again and, and ever reached the Super Bowl or won or reached some of the success they had in the past. You just mentioned the Patriots are considered the most successful under Belichick and Brady. You also said, um, you know, with Jerry Jones and, and Dallas Cowboys, they're, they're quote-unquote America's team. Under your estimation, if the Browns are able to win um, a Super Bowl or become a, 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 a a perennial power, what would be the effect uh, of the Browns fandom as far as their uh, Browns backers? What do you think the Browns would be able to do and how they would be able to move into the consciousness of, of the NFL? And do you believe that that's something that they can make the Browns actually be America's true team? I met a 17-year-old fan uh, the beginning of last season. He told me, he said, I've never seen a good Browns team. I've never seen a Browns team in the playoffs. But I'm diehard. And I said, well, why don't you just pick somebody else? You know, the Patriots are winning, and this team, Chiefs are winning, and the Ravens are winning. He said, it's in me. He said, I'm diehard. That's my team. Why would I switch? So there are a lot of people that have never remembered. You talk about even the Schottenheimer years in the 80s. Garrett, those were good teams. They went to the AFC Championship three out of four years. And I've talked to several people who played during that time and done interviews like Greg Pruitt. 
He told me the 69 team was one of the best teams he was ever on. It didn't go the AFC championship game, but people are even starting to forget about those, those 80s teams with Kevin Mack and Clay Matthews and uh, Brian Seip. Those are becoming faded memories. Um, so after, after um, with Paul Brown, uh, quarterback Otto Graham had retired after the last championship in 1955. Well, the next season, the Browns failed to make the playoffs, their first time ever. Paul Brown had his first losing season at 5-7-0. and zero. Now, there were rumblings then about whether Paul Brown's success was directly tied to his quarterback. Now, Garrett, didn't we see that last year with Belichick and Brady? Sure did. That, that, that's a that's that's a that's a trope that we've seen play out uh, throughout the NFL, right? Especially with great quarterbacks, all-time greats. Absolutely. So people are saying, okay, Belichick, you're a great coach, or were you? That's what they said about Paul Brown. You're you're a great coach, or were you? Now that your quarterback is gone, but the Browns rebounded and then went to the NFL championship game in 1956 but lost, but it was their 11th appearance in 12 years. The next three seasons brought mediocre results through each year, uh, but each year it was a winning record, but they were like eight and five. Uh, In early 1961, this is where Modell starts to come into play, there were rumors that the Browns might be for sale. In the winter of that year, an article appeared written by a man named Chuck Heaton in the Cleveland Plain Dealer that there were two groups of investors who might be interested in buying the Browns. The article stated that the probable selling price would center around $3 million, maybe up as high as $4 million, which was unheard of for an amount for a professional football team. In 1960, the the NFL expanded into Dallas, which became the Dallas Cowboys. Their price was one million. 1961, they expanded into Minneapolis, which became the Minnesota Vikings. Their price for admission was one million. And now here the Browns are being talked about as being valued at three to four million dollars. The first group that was interested in buying the the Browns was headed by uh, Bill Evans of the Diamond Alkalite Company. That was a chemical company out of West Virginia, but they had a large chemical plant in Fairhope Harbor, Ohio. The second group involved Rudy Schaefer. He was head of the Schaefer Brewing Company and Art Arthur Modell, who was a New York advertising and television executive, plus they had some minority uh, people that were involved in that group. You know, Garrett, all the American beer companies were all started by Germans who brought their brewing processes when they migrated over here. You know what? I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you what, Barry. We we are up up against it, but I want to ask you a question. When we come, when when you're on next time and we have you back, will you continue this story and, and pick up right where you are 
with with Art Modell and these two faction groups bidding for the Cleveland Browns to three to four million dollars. Can we can we get you back on to do that? Absolutely. So at the, at this point in the Browns' history, they're they're about to be sold, and there are two groups trying to to buy them. Which one is it, and why did they choose that group? And then what happened with Paul Brown in the process? I'd love beautiful, be- beautiful, beautiful. I thank you so much. We'll, we'll we will catch you again, and I can't wait. We will get this up on the website, and we want to thank you. Um, thank you so much, Barry, for for coming on with us today and, and sharing so much of your knowledge. Always enjoyable, Jer- uh, Garrett. Have a great weekend.